The intersection is, again, paying attention, being intentional about all of those things in your life, and then in when you're making the coffee and you're trying to get out the door and when things are crazy, and then you have the choice to, you know, shout a harsh word to your spouse or your roommate or, you know, when you get to work and your colleagues are sitting there, um, how you walk into that room and how the person that you're going to carry yourself to be, because sometimes... It's not about what we say, right? It's not always about teaching or imparting that wisdom, but it's about being who we are. And I think sometimes that carries more weight than the others. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast, a place for gathering wise conversations about how to live well along the journey with Jesus. My name is Casey Tigert. I'm your host. Um, And thanks for your patience. I know we're a little later this week. Uh, that's because life does not yield to podcasts. <laughs> you probably know what that feels like, uh, but I'm happy to be able to get this out to you because today we have a conversation with my friend Sue Ann Camfield. Uh, Sue Ann is the women's director at Christ Church of Oak Brook in Oak Brook, Illinois. Uh, she's the author of a book called The Sound of a Million Dreams, which we're going to talk about. She's also done quite a bit of other things. She's been a communications director for nonprofits. She was a publicist at InterVarsity Press, and uh, her website, which I'll put in the notes, has several other things that she's done. She was the founder of something called the Redbud Writers Guild, which we've talked about on previous episodes. But our conversation today is going to have to do with something called the stirring that she talks about in her book that I'm not going to talk too much more about in this intro. But what you need to know is if you have thought that maybe there is something that you are meant to do and built to do. Uh, that you need to seize and you don't quite know how to do that. Her story is going to help with that a lot. Also, um, if you've noticed, I've been talking with a lot of females on this podcast. And one of the reasons why is because that voice is widely underrepresented in the church as a whole. And so I want to highlight some of these really wise women that I've uh, come to know over the years. And also, her conversation about leadership and women is incredibly important. So uh, I hope you enjoy this interview and please stick around after the interview is over. Just have a couple notes for you going forward. But without further ado, my friend, Suzanne Campion. Well, uh, today we are, we're in the midst of construction here at Christ Church of Oak Brook. Mm-hmm. Um, construction how have you been handling this how is your emotional state during the construction <laughs> Suhan? you know my emotional state is pretty good I have to say uh, I'm pretty flexible and adaptable so that's good for me on my strength finders I come up my second strength is adaptability which Oops. I find is really helpful when you're going through a massive construction project at your church sure because um, you know there's all kinds of things that happen you lose rooms they shut things down you're not quite sure where you're gonna meet they shut parking lots down they open parking lots up people have to ride shuttles they you know what is good though I have to say next Monday and Tuesday they are closing the building for two days and told us we were not allowed to come in Wow so you know it's not so bad my emotional state of that's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> I get to work from home or Starbucks That's or right. whatever. That's so. right. There's some, um, I think, I think there's some wisdom to, wisdom that comes from living in situations like this. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get to know you uh, not only yourself but the people you work with. 
Mm-hmm. You throw everybody in a construction situation. I think the I think maybe premarital counseling should always <laughs> begin in like I want you to live in a house that's being worked on for three days, and just see how you how you do. Have you been surprised by? <laughs> is there anybody that's, like holed up somewhere with a, a campfire, analogy. thinking we're not going to make it? You know, people have surprisingly been pretty good. Yeah. You do see the people who need a few more details, who might be a little more. Um, you know, not as flexible. But I think overall, our leadership has done an amazing job of communicating, letting us know in advance what was going to happen, and right from the very start of the project saying, hey, this is going to be messy. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And so if everyone just rolls with us, just like in a remodeling project in your house, right? It's horrible, and there's dust everywhere, and you have to live in one room, and everyone hates it, and you get crabby with each other. But you know you're going to have a beautiful kitchen when it's all over, right? Right. So they just keep reminding us of the beautiful kitchen that we are going to have when we're done. So I've actually been pleasantly surprised at how graciously everyone has handled it the congregation too you know they've had to move around do a lot of have a lot of flexibility and you know luckily we have live stream so if they're really not happy with it they stay home and watch it from their living room and that's okay too so that has really helped the technology has actually helped the mental and patience levels of people in churches yeah you talk about that i can't help but you know as a spiritual formation person i can't help but hear dallas willard talking about vision and how vision drives everything. You know, everything we want out of our lives is driven by some kind of vision. And we only go after the stuff that we really want, that we have a strong enough vision for. Like, if you really want to speak Spanish, you're going to take the classes, but you're going to study and you're going to try and find someone who speaks it and and things like that. So it's a strong vision of a completed project. So uh, completed projects like books. So you and I were talking about books before we got on and um, what I'd love to know is every guest that I have, we talk about wisdom because the podcast is about gathering wisdom about living well along the journey with Jesus. And um, part of the reason I want to talk with you is because the book we're going to talk about, The Sound of a Million Dreams, has this line about stirring, which is something you had to you had to gather understanding of what it was and how to enter into it and what to do with it. But um, for you, if you had to define wisdom, and we don't need the whole thing because that's unfair to put you on the spot and do that, but uh, if you had to define wisdom, where would you start with that definition? It's such a good question. And I think when I think about wisdom, the first thing that pops into my mind is not words or a definition, but our faces of mm. people. Yeah. And um, the first face that pops into my mind is uh, my friend Carla. She is 30 years older than me. I met her about four or five years ago, and life was messy and hard and complicated. It was before I started writing the book, and I remember sending an email to her that said, um, I feel like I'm drowning and I need help. And she said, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, can you meet with me and offer me anything, something, something? And so we have been meeting for the better part of four years, once a month, and we sit down and we talk about life and we talk about our challenges and um, she imparts wisdom on me. And when I think about that, I think, you know, the thing I appreciate so much about her is it's not just advice on what I should do, um, but she constantly calls me back to the heart of God hmm. and the vision of God and the best things that he wants for my life and for the people in my life and, and for my ministry and my work. 
And to me, that's wisdom because it's not her, just her applied experience that she has gleaned over the years, but it's really her listening for the heart of God and being able to communicate that into the soul of another life in a way that makes me want to live differently. And so when I think of wisdom, I know there's all kinds of biblical answers to that, but that's what I think of. So, so there's a gift want to hear in that and the thing that stands out is the gift that that is like she's given you wisdom is this hard fought thing like even as you talk about she's imparting wisdom to you it's things that she has lived through or into or has witnessed and then has sort of packaged it and then given it as a gift to you but you here at the church you operate in the area of women's ministry that's right and so you have a chance to give away what you're getting, how how do you do that well? Because I think sometimes it's easier to receive that kind of stuff and make it make our lives better. And then at the same time, maybe not necessarily try and it, maybe there are situations where we can't, where it wouldn't be prudent to do it. But how do you translate that into a gift that you give away to the women that you serve? Well, I hope that I do that. I don't know if I do it well, but I think, you know, people like Carla and other people in my life are a good example of that, of I think what I've learned, and I love that you just said wisdom is hard fought, Mm. because I think some people can very casually look at people and say, oh, they're so wise. Oh, they're so wise. Like it was this gift that just was dropped on them. Like Like they came out of the womb with that big beard and everything, (laughs) like thinking deep thoughts. Right, exactly. And I, I... I think what I've learned about wisdom is that, no, it is hard fought. That's a great phrase. It is, you have to be intentional about it. You have to pay attention. You have to listen. You have to be present with God. You have to be present with people. You have to pay attention to those experiences that are hard or good or messy or whatever. Because if you don't pay attention to that stuff, right, it just slides by and we move on to the next thing. We yeah. think, oh, maybe I should think about what I learned about that sometime later, and later never comes. Yeah. And so I think what I've learned from Carla and other people who I attribute that wisdom to and the gift it's been to me is that it's caused me to pay attention more and to realize that when I'm talking, speaking into the life of someone else, that that's such a privilege. It is such a privilege to be in those places with people where they invite you into a corner of their life and they ask, what do you think? And I never take for granted that that's a privilege, that they trusted me with that. And so I think I come at it from that perspective, Um, whether it's one-on-one or if I'm standing up and teaching in front of a room full of people, these people are trusting me with my words. And so I owe it to them to be paying attention to what God is doing, (laughs) to what he's done in the experiences in my life, and to not just give them the, hey, this is what happened to me version, but this is where I saw God and this is what I learned. And that's something that's hard to do and doesn't come without some form of intentionality. And so I take that pretty seriously. It means I'm slow sometimes to deliver what I need to deliver Mm. because I'm pretty, I try to be thoughtful about it. but I think it's also something that people end up appreciating more in the long run. So how much would you, so there's, there's the pastoral work, which is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are going to be people listening and say, well, that's theologically something I don't get on board with. Well, that's fine, but I'm going to say that's pastoral work. You're, you're shepherding and leading and teaching and you're doing all that and you have those gifts. Uh, but then there's writing mm-hmm. and then there's living mm-hmm. like, 
alarm clock goes <laughs> off, make the coffee, you know, keep it together, mm-hmm. do all the things we have to do. What's the intersection for you? So you have this oper- this opportunity and this stewardship of this privilege of, of helping guide and shape and develop women. And at the same time, you know, there's some folks listening to this who are, they're on the train right now. So, the, and I know, I love this because I know you can speak to this too. They're on the train right now, headed downtown mm-hmm. to go to a job that they're like, eh, uh, not today. Uh, and they're trying to hear this and at the same time say, great, okay, I don't lead a group of women. Mm-hmm. Where's the intersection of that hard-fought wisdom for you that comes not only out in the book and in your teaching, but also in the mm-hmm. wife, you know, the, the the all those little normal ordinary yeah. pieces yeah well you know I think every part of what we do shapes who we are in every part of our life so those pieces obviously are going to intersect no matter if you're on the train downtown or you're home with your kids or you're at the dinner table with your family or you're working in a church or doing whatever you may be doing and I think The intersection is, again, paying attention, being intentional about all of those things in your life, and then in when you're making the coffee and you're trying to get out the door and when things are crazy and then you have the choice to, you know, shout a harsh word to your spouse or your roommate or, you know, when you get to work and your colleagues are sitting there, um, how you walk into that room and how the person that you're going to carry yourself to be, because sometimes it's not about what we say, right? It's not always about teaching or imparting that wisdom, but it's about being who we are. And I think sometimes that carries more weight than the others. And so... You know, if you're on the train downtown to work and you walk in your job and people are seeing how you're treating them and interacting with people and the person that will open the door for you and all of those things, I think that is a reminder that how we live those things then gives us an opportunity potentially to speak into the lives of those who are around us, no matter who that is, yeah. you know, no matter, no matter what authority, and I say authority, you can't see my air quotes on a podcast, you know, <laughs> but no matter what influence you have in that person's life, that's what gives you the authority to speak wisdom into them when you actually are living out the person that you tell people you are yeah. or that you desire to be. Not that we'll ever do that perfectly, but at least they see we're giving in an effort. Right. So the person you are now didn't start out here in Oak Brook. You and your husband uh, were in Ohio. We were. Z- the great <laughs> metropolis of Xenia. That's right. Yes. The land of the devil wind. So That's what Xenia means. I went to, does it really? <laughs> it does. They had a huge tornado there that's still on the Weather Channel in 1974. You can, yeah. Five, what is it? Not five star, five, whatever. Uh, yeah, the way the category, no, category yeah. five, yeah. I don't know. Uh, whatever, it was a big tornado that leveled the town. So wow. anyway, it's the land F5. of the devil wind. F5, thank you. Yes. Well, so I, I went to Bible college in, in Mount Vernon, Ohio. Oh, you did? So not terribly far away. Mm-hmm. So they're all things Ohio always draw me in. Um, but you and Eric were there. Mm-hmm. And so how did you get from Ohio to the Chicago suburbs? 
What was that journey like? It was quite a journey. So we, um, my husband Eric was on staff at a church in Ohio, Mm. and we had just recently transitioned from an organization that was part of Crew, which is Campus Crusade, Mm. um, called Athletes in Action. We were in a sports ministry living in Xenia, Ohio. That's where their headquarters were. And while we were there, the church we were going to approached my husband Eric about taking a job there. And so he was working there, and at this point we had two very small children. Uh, They were um, three and two at the time. And um, he was working. I was home with the kids. And I was volunteering like crazy and all kinds of things that I shouldn't have been doing with a three and a two-year-old or a two and a one-year-old or whatever I have. And so I was doing everything really poorly. Um, (laughs) But we just started to feel this um, stirring, this kind of prompting that something was going to change. And we didn't know what it was. Um, We really felt like it was for my husband. We felt like God was going to do something in his life that was going to create a change in our life. We didn't know what it was. We didn't even know how to articulate what that might look like. But I, we struggled with it for probably six months to a year of just kind of this feeling. Something's coming. Something's coming. And I remember very specifically one day I was sitting out on our deck, um, you know, watching my kids play in the yard. And Eric came out to me. And uh, this was before we had smartphones. And so he had printed off an email that he had received, which is funny now, right, to think about that. He printed off an email. I I don't remember printers. I know. Can you believe it? So he had printed off an email that he had gotten from a pastor at Christ Church of Oakbrook uh, in the suburbs of Chicago by the name of Greg Ogden. Hmm. And they had been looking for a small group pastor, which was what Eric currently did at the time for a long time, and they hadn't been able to find anybody. And they had gotten his name. He was in graduate school at the time out in Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania. And um, he, uh, they had asked for a recommendation from that school because they couldn't find anybody, and they had given them my husband's name. And so we get this random email from Greg Ogden at a church we never heard of in, in Chicago where we'd never been, and I'm sitting out on the deck, and Eric comes, and he hands me this email, and he says, take a look at this. And immediately I just knew in my spirit this is the change we've been waiting for or anticipating, and I thought, shoot. We're moving to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> now, we didn't move for six more months. I mean, he had to interview. That was before he even had a conversation. But I think sometimes you just, you know, it was just one of those moments where I just went, hmm, yeah. I guess we're moving to Chicago. Yeah. So you end up here, and this is all in the book, so I would encourage anybody listening to, to read the more expanded story because you do so well. What I love about your writing in the book is how you weave this all through the topics. So it's not as if it's just your life story, but it's here's the story. And then you so you respond to this, you call it the stirring and you give it like proper name, like mm-hmm. capital S stirring. I do. Thanks uh, to my editor, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but you had to spend you finally got here mm-hmm. and you had to spend a time where you were on the train mm-hmm. and you were working a job that I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I got the impression you weren't super pumped about. Mm-hmm. Um so that was a season. How would you describe that season? What kind of what kind of what kind of name would you give that season in the middle of this response? Because obviously, when you heard this call, when you read this printed email, mm-hmm. uh, you felt like this this struck the tuning fork. Mm-hmm. This is what we feel like we're being this stirring is leading to, and yet you get to it, mm-hmm. and then you enter into this riding the train, yeah, sort of 
disgruntledness. Would yeah. that be a fair? Is that, that fair? you know Correct what that would be a fair? And I'll tell you the story, and then I'll answer answer that question. Um, so we moved here, and you know that stirring was really more about my husband and mm. really about Eric. And I, when we moved here, I was so excited to just watch him fly. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to correct all the things I did wrong when we were in Ohio. And I'm just going to start over. And I'm going to just be like the best wife and the best mom. And I'm going to put on my pearls and my high heels. I'm <laughs> like, have right? You're laughing because exactly. Um, Father's news, father knows exactly. best is coming to mind. I thought, this, yeah. this is yeah. my chance to start over and to do this right. And we were here for about three months. And I was like, yeah yeah, this isn't really working for me. <laughs> this isn't really who I am. And I realized that while Eric was off living out who he was created to be, I was not. Yeah. And I loved my kids. Um, you know, I would say being an at-home mom at that phase with very little children was probably not my best moments. I have teenagers now, and everyone says, oh, wait till you have teenagers, it's so bad. And I will take the teenage days over the little days any day. That's just how I'm wired. Yeah. And so I was in this season. I was super lonely. We didn't know anybody here. Um, I was home with my kids, watching my husband go do his thing. And I just felt like, what am I doing here? I'm lost. And so I had a day where everyone had the stomach flu. And um, I recovered, and I went, and I took my husband's laptop, and I went to the corner bakery by the Oak Brook Mall. Yeah. And I was like, I have an hour and 45 minutes alone. And I just felt like I needed to tap into a place of me that I hadn't been in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down, and I started writing a story that had been kind of floating in my head, and I just started writing. And in that moment, I realized that, and I have to be careful how I say this, because in no way am I um, lessening um, my time as staying at home with my kids, because I, I would do that all over again. And I don't mean to say that it was, I, I wasn't, um, that this point was, I'll just continue the story. Yeah. I'll stop apologizing. I'll just continue the story. So I was sitting there, and I just felt like there was this moment where God, in my writing in that moment, said, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and this is who you were created to be. Mm. And so that started me on this journey of um, writing, and it was coupled with speaking and teaching, that this was these were the gifts that God has given me, and I had no outlet for them at the time. Yeah. And I think that's, I love the, your analogy of the tuning fork, mm -hmm. because I felt like that was the place I was supposed to be in tune, yeah. but yet there was nowhere for me to play that note, yeah. to play that fork. And so I got a couple jobs. I'll fast forward the story. Um, I, I went back to work. I got one job. I got another job. And then I had the job where I was riding the train downtown. And... All of these jobs were things that I was educated for, I was qualified for, I was actually pretty decent at, I liked the people I worked with, I liked the mission I was working for, but I wasn't striking the tuning fork. And so I was doing it in a volunteer role, I was doing it where I could, I was doing it in what I call the nooks and crannies of my life. But I just had this long season. When I say long season, we're talking like eight years of yeah. wrestling with God. You created me for something that I am not doing. You have gifted and called me, and I here I am riding the train downtown to a job that, sure, it's fine, but it's not what you've asked me to do. Yeah. And wrestling with that, when you asked how I would describe that, it was a, a full-out wrestling that, um, gosh, it caused me... Um, 
you know, it made me sad and it made me feel lonely because I felt like, does anyone else understand this? Does anyone else feel like this? Yeah. Um, it made me frustrated. It made me feel like I was stuck because I thought, okay, is this, is this, and my husband would always say, you know, maybe it's just about being faithful. You have to be faithful to what's in front of you. And that's true. Like sometimes you just got to slug it out and be faithful in what's in front of you. But I, I, there was this other part of me that was like, no, but this isn't what I'm like. God, I know God has more for me than this. Yeah. And so that was, um, that was a wrestling, that stirring. That's what I call that stirring of all of that, um, that it took me a long time to figure out. Yeah. What's well, you pull a dichotomy that I think is so important in this discussion because obviously there are all kinds of themes. The great thing about the story to me is that story always teaches theology. Um, you find out about a person's image of God by the way they talk about their past mm. and the way they talk about their relationship. So if you can find out if a person believes that God speaks to them, um, <clears throat> you can find out if a person believes that they've been designed for a particular reason, which, you know, hearing that so clearly and not only that, but you articulating the wisdom of being faithful to that doesn't mean that all of the sudden you know, everything becomes perfect and the path clears and it's the scene from The Wizard of Oz where all they're all singing and the birds are chirping and all that and you run to the Emerald City. Uh, sometimes there is a snowy train ride downtown in the midst of that. So, But that's on you, mm-hmm. right? So there's a response that you make. However, as a woman in a Christian world, mm-hmm. uh, there is also a response that needs to be made in reverse. So you, you talk about feeling like there are these gifts and these passions mm-hmm. inside of you to write and to speak and do those things. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some who would say, well, that's great, except for the Bible is really not not in favor of that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a quote in the book that I really, I'm just going to read it because I try to remem- memorize things and it doesn't help. But you talk about if we believe God only ever cares about what we want to do when we grow up, We'll forget that his primary purpose for us lies in the person we choose to become. And then you quote Miroslav Volf, which, kudos, by the way. Uh, we'll simply assume, as Miroslav Volf says, that we that who we believe God to be and who God truly is are one and the same. And so how did you process through the fact that you had gifts coming up from inside you, you quote Parker Palmer as well, who's a, a dear influence for me, who always said vocation never comes from the outside, it always comes from the inside. Mm-hmm. You have these gifts that are coming up in you, and yet there are probably people around you going, well, but those are things that you can only exercise if you're male. Mm-hmm. How did you engage with that? Mm-hmm. And talk about your experience with that, because I think there are a lot of men who are listening to this that need to know, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't some far away forgotten thing. This is reality. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, um, so, so our, my church history from before we got to Chicago, we were at a church that um, was very complementarian. And for those who may not know what that means as they're listening, but um, men did certain things and women did certain things. And what it meant was, and you can fix me on this or say it better than I I will. But in practicality, what it meant was really women were to teach women or have authority with women and children and that some of the bigger roles in the church were not for them. And, you know, during that time, it didn't really occur to me that 
there was anything wrong or different, or maybe there was a different way to think about that. Um, I felt loved. I felt affirmed in who I was. I had a Sunday school teacher who asked me to teach a co-ed class at one point, and um, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, and I didn't realize that maybe that was something he was actually taking a risk by inviting me into that piece, but I never felt... um, you know, condescended to or limited to at at that point. Um, However, when we moved here to Chicago is when kind of all these things started bursting out of me, and I was really looking for a place to use them. And the ironic thing is when we came to Christ Church of Oak Brook, I was starting to get to ask to do things in rooms of both men and women that I was like, I don't know if I should be doing this. Like, I can't believe these people are asking me to do this because I'm not sure if the Bible says this is okay. And so I had to wrestle through what I thought about those things. And it's so funny. I remember um, I was, and I'd wrestled with them before we got here, but I remember I was asked to preach a sermon and a new service that was starting here, a very contemporary new service that started in the basement of this building that now has grown to 800 900 people at the time it was pretty small and one of the pastors asked me to preach and I actually came back to him and said I would only feel comfortable if Eric preached with me I don't know that I'm supposed to be preaching in this room yeah and he looked at me and I so appreciate this he looked at me and he said I can understand why you might feel that way I completely disagree with you. You have every authority to teach and preach in this church here in this room. But if that makes you feel more comfortable, okay. And so I preached that sermon with Eric, which was a disaster because (laughs) (laughs) my husband is a pastor also. He has a completely different style as me than me. He has a completely different way to communicate. And sure. so we tried to merge together this awful sermon on the rest of God. I remember what it was about. And it was just kind of a nightmare. And after that, I thought, okay, maybe there's, I need to think about this because that wasn't maybe the best use of either of our gifts or time. Yeah. And so on this journey here in this church, I just kept getting asked to do more and more things. And I really had to wrestle with, we're talking for probably eight years of um, theology, going back to what does the Bible really say? And when Paul actually says these things, who's he talking to? And and what are the words he's using? What is the context he's using it in? And as I started to read other voices who had different opinions, as I started to listen to the men in this church and in my vocational life who came alongside me and spoke into my life and saw these gifts and encouraged and empowered me, I finally got to a place where I didn't feel like I could. I would get up in a room full of people and have to apologize for being a woman. Wow. I felt that God... I could fully step into who God created me to be and the gifts that he had given me to be under the authority of Jesus Christ, under the authority of our church, under the authority of the leadership and the staff of this church to say, this is who God created you to be. And they saw those gifts in me. And it was I was the one holding myself back. Hmm. And they, especially the men, I mean, I had women too. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I had women who walked alongside me. But I think in, in this cultural context, and you can read about the women in the book too but this cultural context that we're in today and with the you know this me too conversation that is going on i think men need to hear that their voice and the way that they can look a woman in the eye and say i see this in you i appreciate this about you 
and empower them to do whatever that may be. It doesn't need to be preaching and teaching whatever it is that they see them gifted and called to do. I just, uh, that changed my life. Yeah. And that I would not be sitting here today if I didn't have men who came alongside me and spoke those words to me. So per the quote that I just read, mm-hmm. did that, how did this change the way you see God? Mm-hmm. How did the shift in how you saw your own vocation? Because it's a, at the heart, it's a question of theology. Is God okay with mm-hmm. me teaching a room full of men mm-hmm. when I've grown up under this tradition? Mm-hmm. Um, how did that change the way you mm-hmm. saw God? You know, I think it gave me a broader view of the heart of God and the character of God. And I think what I had to do in my study and as I went on this journey is not just look at the black and white words of Scripture, mm-hmm. but to look at who Jesus was with the people he was with all the time. To look at the way he uh, encountered women, the way he talked to them, the way he lifted them up, and then to step back from, from just the life of Jesus and to look at how the church from the beginning of time, right, from from uh, the Old Testament all the way through Paul and the New Testament, and to see the way women were part of the body, just like anybody else. And so I, it, it caused me to step back and see maybe God in for the breadth of um, who his character is across the narrative of Scripture, and not just... Um, and when I say just, I mean, I love the Bible. I believe in the Bible. Don't get me wrong. But but I think sometimes when we see just the black and white words and mm. we say the Bible says this. Yeah. Okay, let's start there. Yeah. And then let's see what the character of Christ says in conjunction with the words of the Bible. And is that consistent with the larger narrative of Scripture that we see from the very beginning of yes. time? And so, like I said, I wrestled through that for eight years before. Now I'm like, whew, all right, I'm good, you know. And, and now I, I feel like I can fully empower others, and that, that's a, and I can step up in front of people and feel like I don't have to make an apology. Yeah. And so um, I just feel God's pleasure in that, you know. I feel, I feel his pleasure no matter who it is that is um, using their gifts and no matter the context. To see someone in their sweet spot of using who they were created to be, their gifts and their talents, to the glory of God, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes to yeah. watch whoever that may be in whatever place God has them. Yeah. I just love it. So the the broad picture of the book really has at its heart, there is this, there is this stirring that... Honestly, the reason the, the appeal of what you're writing is not only because you evidence that in your story, but because it's, it's, a, it's a universal mm-hmm. that, now granted, we have to figure out, you know, some people's imaginations could start to click in and say, okay, my, the stirring has to be for one of those high-profile, mm-hmm. front-of-the-house kind of jobs, uh, but it doesn't. But what you talk about so clearly and that's so helpful is is the grittiness of it. The wisdom is you may follow this passion. Um, maybe maybe not passion. Passion's a good word, but mm-hmm. I think it gets a little overplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, you may follow this thing that God is stirring in you, these gifts that are there that other people have named, mm-hmm. uh, male, female, whatever it might be. And it's still going, it may not be an easy, smooth path. So, but by the end of the book, you know, you come to a resting point. Mm. 
So it's not as if, and now look at this, you know, it's not a, you know, like the before and after pictures and the weight loss things. Um, <laughs> and now look at me, but it's a, you have, you seem to have come to a place of comfort and hope and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the feeling that I get after reading it. So the wisdom that you've gleaned in writing this, because anytime you put a, a spotlight on your own life, you have to look at it mm-hmm. too. What are the things that have come to you through writing this? And how would you give those away to people who are going to read this? I think, you know, the piece you talk about at the end of the book, it's interesting because I'm only realizing this now as you're asking me this question. (laughs) We never (laughs) stop learning, right? Um, I finished this book in still a state of riding the train downtown to a job I didn't like. Hmm. I was not on staff at a church finally in my sweet spot, as I feel, doing what I felt like God really has called me to do. I did not. Pu- I had not published a book at that point. Mm-hmm. I was writing it. Yeah. Hadn't come out. And so I finished the book still on the train um, in this place that I feel like is not, not as where God has called me to be, but yet I need to be faithful to. Yeah. And what I learned more than anything else, and what this book is really about, is not so much trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. That's a piece of it, because mm-hmm. I do believe we're all gifted and called to unique things, and God is cheering us on to those things no matter what they are. And so I do think there is value in finding what those things, those practical things are. But what I had to let go of in the process of the book that finally brought me to a place of peace is that you know it's not about that thing that we're supposed to do. But there's actually a person that God is asking us to become Mm. in the process of trying to figure out what we want to do. And that person is way more important than anything we will ever do. And so if I'm still riding the train downtown, you know, if I was still doing it 10 years from now, through that process of wrestling, of talking to God about my dreams, my hopes, my longings, my vocation, my calling, my stirring... Through processing that with him and and listening to him and being intentional about my life, he changes us, right? Mm -hmm. He changed me. He -hmm. changes you. Mm -hmm. And that process is sanctification, right? It is is becoming more of the person that Jesus has called us to be. Is that how you would define it? I would. I don't know that I ever really say that. Maybe I'm just saying it to you for the first time. But for me, it's a sanctifying process because I had to let go of all the things I thought I was supposed to do and come to a place to say, okay, if I never do those things in the way I think they should do, if I never publish a book, if I never get to teach and speak and preach the way that I want, does that make me any less valuable? Does it make God any less true? Does it... um, make me not live into the full life that he has called me to with the people around me? Does it make me not, does it make me be any less present with my kids? You know, does it make me, um, does it make me uh, want to follow him into courageous ways any less? Because ultimately, the thing that God has called us to is not a job, right? It's not, it's not a thing, but he calls us first and foremost to the person that he is. He calls us first and foremost to the person of Jesus Christ. So I think when we can hold, start to hold more loosely the things that we're supposed to do and realize, you know what, if God is calling me to himself and he's asking me to become more holy, 
to become more like him, to reflect his glory more to this world, no matter what I'm doing, then that's that's what I got to focus on. And the rest, I just submit to God. And what happens, happens. But I found so much freedom in that. When I finally realized it wasn't about what I'm supposed to do, but who I was supposed to be, I was like, okay, I can get on my knees every day before Jesus and ask him to, to change me into him. I can't control the job I have, maybe, or I can't control the opportunities I may have. But that, I can submit myself to him. Yeah. That is fantastic. Mm. The, the spiritual formation person in me is like, yes, <laughs> yes, becoming, uh, yes. yes be Thank coming. you so much for writing this. Thank you for listening to the stirring and leaving the, what's it, Xenia, is the seven devil winds, what? Uh, the land of the devil wind. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a good idea. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> and uh, thank you again, the conversation. I know, I know there's somebody who's going to listen to this that's just going to be absolutely inspired. Mm-hmm. So thanks. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Great conversation there. I'm so glad to have had that opportunity. As you can tell, that was recorded live. Um, I love those. It's so much better uh, to do that than virtually uh, when the opportunity is there. And uh, so I was glad to be able to do that. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can find a link to Sue Ann's website, uh, to her book uh, on the show notes here for the podcast. Uh, or on the little blog post. If you stream it from my website, caseytigret.com, you can find uh, the notes there and a picture of Sue Ann and things like that. But uh, thank you so much for listening. If you are a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. If you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes or Google Play, would you please do that? Uh, That would be excellent. Next week, we are going to be talking with someone who uh, has a book coming out that day. And so I would encourage you to be ready for that. That's actually going to drop on Monday. I know I've been slacking y'all. Uh, But that's actually going to drop on Monday so that you can pick up her book when it comes out. Uh, But again, if you have enjoyed this uh, podcast, would you do me a favor and just write just a simple rating or review on iTunes? That helps me tremendously to know how many people are listening and and what you think. Uh, If you hate the podcast and you want to give it just the abysmal rating, um, email me instead. Don't don't rate it. (laughs) That would be fantastic. So uh, with all that said, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Be well, live wisely. Peace, friends.